Hey guys, Alex Lokes here, Classic Camera Revival, and we we like to buy a lot of cameras. Sometimes we find cameras we love, we bond with them, and we still use them. Sometimes we buy a camera, we think we're going to like it. We buy it maybe because of the hype, maybe because we've seen other images online, but for some reason, they sit on the shelf collecting dust. Not because they're broken... That's for our next episode. But just because we don't like to use them. Sometimes we keep them because we can't get rid of them. Sometimes we get rid of them and trade them for something we like more. Yes, folks, today we are visiting Sergeant Eastman and the Lonely Camera Band. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival. Coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. All right, so we are probably going to trigger a few of you, but don't worry, this is not going to be a slag fest, unless we want it to be, in which case, I don't care. <laughs> um, but we Come find us first. We we everyone has their own opinions. Um, a camera is just an extension of your own creativity. So if some people like to use something and you don't, that's fine. We're not going to hold it against you. Well, we might judge you slightly, but never publicly. So why not kick it off with something that will definitely trigger people, Bill? Thank you, Alex. <laughs> Bill or the camera? How's everyone doing today? No, I'm the one who does the triggering. Are you sitting comfortably? Now we will begin. So, yeah, the camera that um, – it was a classic. It was a neat idea at the time. Now, for those in the studio audience, um, everyone knows uh, my brother Alex is also deep into film photography. And for the lucky few who have been to his house and seen the camera museum, yeah, yeah, you, you know. It's like he's into I his – I promise I didn't take anything. Yeah. Anyway, um so at some point he was, you know, he does this every once in a while. He decides he needs to thin the herd a little. And he had two Hasselblads, 500 CMs. And he think, hey, look, do you want to, do you want one, Bill? And he, he sold me one for 500 and change. And this is back at the super low point. And it had a rather, um, an 82.8 Zeiss lens on it. Uh, it was a pre T coated. So it was an early version. And for a while it, took some really nice images until it decided it didn't. And um, it really confused uh, a repair tech that's no longer with us uh, out of Hamilton. And he got it working again. And and it worked fine for a while. Then it started misbehaving again. And it just sort of got to the point it became a shelf queen for a few years. And Again, I don't slag Hasselblads. A lot of brilliant images have been taken with it. It has been to the moon and back. Uh, it just wasn't my cup of tea. And maybe it's because I had that bad experience with that particular 82.8 size lens. It sat on the shelf for a few years. And then along came a gentleman named Byron Kiparichi, who's been on a previous Classic Camera Revival episode. He was... He recently picked up a Rolly Flex 3.5F. It was like a second or third generation. I can't remember off the top of my head. He had it overhauled. had a new uh, bright uh, finder screen. I think a, a Maxwell or something like that popped in. 
he shot with it and he found he wasn't happy with it and he was looking for a Hasselblad. So we got to talking online and then we did a prisoner exchange at a Starbucks in Vineland, Ontario, because he's based out of St. Catharines. And of course, I live down in Oakville, Ontario, Canada. And again, both of us were quite happy. Uh, I think he replaced the 82.8 lens. He kept, I think, the 150 F4 sonar. Uh, I can't remember offhand. So he's overjoyed because he loves using it. I'm happy with my Rolly 3.5F and happy ever after. Please don't bomb my car. I don't want to check it before I start it. <laughs> <sighs> well, you know, in the end, it had a happy ending. Exactly. The, 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 the Hasselblad found a new home. As, strangers on that bridge. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, now I'm a... And it's, I have a second Rolling Flex. My first one's a 3.5C uh, planar, and I have a 3.5F planar. I'm, whenever underused cameras become used cameras, it's a win. Exactly. Absolutely. Everyone's and happy. Um, I prefer my Mamiya M645 and my Rolleiflex 2.8F over a Hasselblad, personally. Uh, yeah, it's again, it's a camera that uh, that sort of style of what I call a medium format SLR is not for everybody. And I think that the trap we get into is like at some point it's like, oh, we're going to go medium format. I need a Hasselblad. And yes, they're well engineered cameras, but they're kind of like the Saab 900 of cameras to some extent. Mm. Yeah, built with a carpenter square, like a Volvo. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm the guy who went on to Saab 900. The guy who went and designed a lot for Saab helped design the Hasselblad. Yeah, the ignitions on the floor on the on the transmission tunnel. Uh, <laughs> for those who remember Saabs when they were still making motor vehicles. And I say this as a Hasselblad user: you buy a Hasselblad to use those lenses. It's not because it's an ergonomic wet dream. No, exactly. Uh, again, I'm not dissing the glass. It's a Zeiss Planar 82.8 lens. It's beautiful for a reason, and that's the reason why I wound up with a 3.5 f Rolleiflex to go with my 3.5 c Rolleiflex. Both have planar glass. Exactly. Did the uh, new owner know that it's uh, uh, a fickle? Uh, it's more hassle than Blad. Well, it's funny. Uh, Brian wound up getting a. Uh, I think he wound up trading the lens in for a T-coated uh, yeah. later. For I think it was a Bay 60 lens because yeah. that's one I had was a Bay 50. Yeah, I think he got the Bay 60. He's got the uh, – not the CF, but the C. Yeah, yeah. and I, he wanted a slightly more modern lens. Uh, and that was his preference. And, hey, again, everyone's happy. Um, the camera has a new home. It's well-loved. The end. <laughs> well, Please I, don't bomb my car. Yeah. Um, Just don't go to Sweden. <laughs> they don't have any bombs. I am partially Swedish, by the way. My grandmother on my father's side by way of Minnesota. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to go after another uh, famous camera, Leica. But not the M-series Leica. I, I've only shot the M6 once. I enjoyed it. Great cameras. I'm going after the Barnack series Leicas. I've owned two. I've had a 3C and a 3F, and they are a pain in the ass. They are. So, first of all, the lenses, absolutely fantastic. I've had both a Sumatar and an Elmar. Great lenses, produced fantastic images. Um, my 3C, um, basically I had the 3F first, 
and then traded that for a 3C and came on several trips, been to New York. I've gotten fantastic images out of it when I could get images out of it. The problem is twofold. First of all, um, the separate viewfinder rangefinder windows that are both super tiny. And when you're wearing glasses, it makes it very difficult to actually get the focus. You have a very dim rangefinder patch that is sometimes even very hard to find when you're working with such a tiny, tiny um, rangefinder window. Secondly is actually getting the film to load. Oh, man, you're giving me PTSD there. Um. Unlike the M6, which I was, again, when I first shot the M6, I was a little wary of getting the film to load properly. I got it loaded first try. I maybe, it took me about average three, four tries to get the film to load into a Barnack Leica. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, My personal experience with Barnack Leica is my brother owns a few. He has um, a 3F. A red dial 3F, I think. He also has, he inherited my dad's 3G. They were only made for a short time uh, after the M3 came out because the screw mount community in Leica, the lights, Leica land, were quite upset that their format was gone the way of the Dodo. They wanted one last camera. Are you saying they, were, they felt like they're getting screwed? Oh, that's a good yes. way of putting it. Uh, I tried loading it, and it's like, if you want to see a grown man cry, give him a Barnack Leica and tell him to load a, a, a roll of Triax quickly. You have to trim the film leader just right. And Leica actually sold an accessory, and I think they sell for like 100 bucks for the original ones. It's a lot easier to just buy the plans for $5 and 3D print one. Uh, You took the words right out of my mouth, Mr. Lux. Yeah, I'm not slagging Barnack Leicas. I'm just saying it it takes a specific personality to use them, love them, adore them, get the most out of them. But for me, uh, yeah, I love my M3. I love my M4 too. They're easy peasy to load. Mm -hmm. And like I said, you you don't want to see a grown man cry. Uh, Especially when you, you thought you'd got a full roll of like, photographic brilliance only to find out later yeah none of that advanced and it's multiple exposures but it's 36 multiple exposures onto one frame pretty much are, are we allowed rebuttals go right ahead oh, uh because yeah i like i have one it needs a bit of work right now but uh what i like about the three and yes the um the loading is a pain i read somewhere they thought that they could make the body of the camera more structurally sound by eschewing, we ever used the word eschewing on the show before, or by avoiding the hinge back and loading the the uh, the bottom, and hey, there are people who could do this in a trench, you know, with bullets flying, but I agree, it, it's a pain. The thing, the thing about the um, the separate viewfinder and rangefinder, I found that once you got used to it and sort of understood the intent, I think it works. Because the thing is, like it was, it was meant to be like a running gun on the fly. Like what I would do, I would focus first, then I would do the composition, and I found that it really worked for me after a while. And also, I think a lot of people use that. This is back when people knew what the hyperfocal distance was. Yes. People would like people like Cartier Bresson who used that a Barnack camera for most of his career oh, uh, he never focused he just he just used the zone and he knew how to be ready and well, 
So, like, uh, also the thing about the squint, yes, this was an era where a lot of viewfinders across brands and makes and models were squint. Um, and sadly, a lot of the, the Barnack Leicas you buy today, the viewfinder is just, has not survived well. No. So I think it's, you have to, to be fair, you know, you want to oh, judge. I'm moments. not slagging the Barnack Leicas and probably in a fit of a complete and utter weakness, I may wind up with a 3F someday with a beautiful 50 f2 simicron or maybe a 3g so i can like at least keep up with my brother because he's the one who got or, or even G. get 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 a uh, collapsible elmar because yeah. oh, i Elmars think are brilliant i think the collapsible lens with with the barnack i think that is sort of the soul of what that can oh very true because it, yeah. it's funny my brother and i had this conversation a few days ago um he's headed off on a vacation at west going skiing with his family Oh yeah, what camera should I take? And again, it's the usual conversation we have about a week before he goes. And I am thinking of the following, and of course, you know, the three F comes into play with a collapsible lens because again, he can put it in an inner pocket in his ski jacket, and there you go. And it's like I kind of said, yeah, maybe roll with that because uh, again, you're up in the mountains, and if it's a bright sunny day, you don't need a fast lens. No, and if you stop it down. You can easily, you can easily just run and gun. Exactly, and, and that's what he'll probably run with. I, I don't know. That's and I a, think that was my biggest mistake was that I tried to focus every shot, and I think I wouldn't have. I probably still would have gotten rid of mine, but it probably wouldn't have been for. Probably would have happened eventually, just not when it did. And sharpness is such a bourgeois concept. Uh, the world ain't sharp. Especially when you've had a few. <laughs> yeah. This episode. The pictures look better after a couple drinks. Fifteen years. <laughs> or or wait till the next episode. It'll really be brought to you by that. Uh, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. So Matt is uh, still with us, and Polaroid has um, well, Polaroid's back, and a lot of people love it, but not everyone. I yeah. So I mean, I want to say you know, so you all can you know. Dip your torches in water now. Uh, the the SX70 in particular, and I'm looking at one. There's one on the table here. It is a fantastic camera, and the more you learn about it, the more appreciation you have for that camera. Um, you can find the patent drawing for that camera, and it shows the light path that the light has to take to get to the viewfinder. And it's amazing that they ever got that thing to actually work. Like it's it's incredibly well designed. It's an SLR with like it's 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 you know halfway to large format and it's but it's still an SLR and it's still tiny and it folds up and it's like it, it's just it's just incredible. Um, there's like they've got a double sided mirror in there and when the mirror's up it bounces the light down to the film. When the mirror's down it bounces the light. There's a second mirror hiding behind it that bounces off of the backside of the first mirror to go up to the viewfinder. It's amazing. It's ultimately like exceptionally incredible camera. But I've never really been impressed with any photos I've seen taken with it like it it works but I've I've never been wowed by it and whenever I've tried to shoot Polaroid I end up just stressing about how much money each shot costs <laughs> instead instead of enjoying what I'm doing and 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 enjoying the uh or trying to enjoy you know this you know very nice viewfinder and uh and the convenience and the fact that you get to see your image you know quickly uh like the old, like the old digital days, uh, it's uh, it's it's neat, 
but I wish it performed better. And, and part of the problem is maybe is I've never shot, I've never shot pack film. Uh, I've only ever shot the integral film. So maybe I would feel differently if I had, uh, gotten through some boxes of, uh, FB 100 C before they became, uh, mortgage worthy. $60 a pop. Yeah. There you go. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, I do love the cameras. They're, they're, they're quite incredible. Especially the SX-70. Oh, the folding SX-70 is wonderful. And again, that's a topic for our next oh. episode, which is why this camera is here on the table. I had one and sold one. Uh, yeah, A, they're very expensive. Uh, or sorry, that the, the film was expensive. And this was back when the fairly early days for an impossible project, and you had to basically, you take a picture, you'd have to have an accessory tongue. I don't like... Oh, yeah. I don't like paying... <laughs> To, to, I don't uh, like paying extra for tongue. That's what she said. <laughs> yeah, there, there was problems with with guarding the yeah. guarding the, the oh, yeah. print, guarding the I opening glasses. Uh, that viewfinder and glasses, <laughs> sorry, did not get along. No, um, yeah, John, you have a camera that is also beloved by one person here at the table that you just didn't like. You thought you did, but you didn't. Yeah, I'm talking about the Pentax 6.7, and I really... Come on, man. I really... <laughs> I, I don't hate it. I'm speaking more of a feeling of sadness rather than homicidal fury. Well, I have a 67.2, so I think they're kind of slightly different animals. Well, you can tell. You can uh, listen to my, my list of grievances and tell me... Okay, you thing. air your grievances. Go for it. <laughs> but I'm going to start off with the positive. I think the uh, 105 f2.4 is one of the best lenses of all time. It's a beautiful lens. Pentax knows how to make a smooth focusing mechanism and I just loved using that lens but I think as we said in the previous episode sometimes having an amazing lens just isn't enough. So the the problems I had with it, let's not kid ourselves, it's a heavy bulky camera. I have a crummy back and um, like at one time, I remember taking it down to the beaches in Toronto you know, for a couple of hours. Got some great pictures, but I was I was in pain afterwards and needed some rather serious medication mm -hmm. to fix my back. So it's it's a heavy camera. The vibration is an issue unless you're using the mirror lockup of newer models. That's so I compare that to the Rolleiflex. You know that nice quiet leaf shutter. I can shoot at a thirtieth with a Rolleiflex with decent. Output, you know, sorry, a Pentax 6.7, you're not shooting at a 30th. Yeah, you're going to get a noise complaint with that camera. <laughs> exactly. Um, another thing that bothered me uh, in a studio setting is the slow sync. The X sync yeah. on that camera is 130th of a second. Well, that's slow. Yeah, one, one. One, one, one slash three zero. I looked it up. Them's the facts. Don't blame me. And so blame Pentax. So fill film uh, fill flash. Forget it. Or even if if you're in a studio setting, even if there's too much ambient light, and using a fast uh, a fast uh, film, that can be a trouble. That can be. You're trouble. you're gonna have to be shooting like Eastman twenty two thirty eight. Now now to be fair, uh, what what uh, Pentax did do was make a couple of lenses. I think it was a ninety. And a 165, if I'm not mistaken, I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong because this is the internet, that had a built-in leaf, leaf shutter. shutter. Let's see. Now, this is where it may be controversial. I, I found that camera to be a bugger to load. It is. 
especially if yeah. I'm walking. Okay, so it's not just me. Uh, compared to, let's say, a Rolleiflex, I find a Rolleiflex, it just, the film always catches the first time, it loads quickly. I remember being on walks, trying to reload the Pentax 6.7, because you only get 10 shots a roll, 6.7, yeah. so, and by the time I got my camera reloaded, I'd be a block behind everybody else. Um, also, uh, even reloading the Pentax 645 was easier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's not easy. Well, it's a pain. It's, you're basically trying to load essentially a large 35 millimeter canister. It's yeah. not. It's 120. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but um, it's low. It loads like a 35 millimeter canister, except you're sticking the tail into a 120 spool that's stuck inside the camera. It's a pain in the ass. Mm. Well, if you stick your Stick your tail where it doesn't belong. Sometimes it can be a pain in the ass. <laughs> or your tongue. <laughs> but uh, yeah. to, to, to sort of go to that point, because it's a pain in the ass, uh, the fact that it does not have an interchangeable back, at least not as a factory option, is a pain. I was doing some research, and apparently there was a third party that did sort of a, a, uh, a Polaroid hack. Yeah. Sort of a semi-authorized. Yeah. But for the average Joe, it is non-interchangeable. Now compare yeah. that with the uh, the Hasselblad, and I'll be the first to admit, loading a Hasselblad back can be a pain. But if I go out with, let's say, three or four of them preloaded, you're good. And I can switch and color, black and white, yeah. fast, even slow, mid-roll. Even during my time with the Hasselblad, I found the backs reasonably easy to load. But again, I have owned three of them, and. If I'm out for an outing, uh, I would have all three preloaded, ready to go. And once one's done, pop exactly. another one on. I didn't even bother changing the mid-roll. It's like, okay, keep going. Okay, we're done. Flip it out. On to the next one. Whereas, yeah, I've never played with a 6.7, so I really can't comment. Uh, <laughs> well, if you're going to get the, uh, for those, if John's tweaked anyone's interest out there about getting that Polaroid back, my advice to you is don't. Um, <laughs> It's not very functional. Once you put it in the put it on the back of the camera and put your pack film in it, you have to shoot all ten frames. There's no dark slide. No dark slide. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You, once it's on, it, shoot it till it's empty. Yep. One and done. And, uh, and I take that's the same with the regular, like Pentax six seven. There is no dark slide. You just go. It's all basically there. a thirty five millimeter camera. It's a scaled up K two. K two. K two. Okay, so basically a K2 with the East German sports diet. Pretty much. Pretty much. So a couple more things I don't like about it. I don't like the fact that it's battery dependent. Mm. Yeah, that's and, another one. That's and that's where the, the Roloflex and the Hasselblad, I love the fact that they aren't battery dependent. And I can't wait to use my uh, my upcoming fancy meter. That, yeah, that'll be perfect oh, for you. There you go. There you go. Uh, also, and then, now this this may just be me because uh, I had a problem with my second one. The uh, the way the meter works with the metering pen prism, there's a little chain involved. Uh, it is a very fragile mechanism. Mm -hmm. It is easy to get it mucked up if uh, you don't pay attention to how you're uh, switching lenses. Yeah, I think they fixed that. They, on, I have a sixty. I have a sixty-seven two. Um, so I've, I actually never shot a 67, so I can't give you an opinion on it, but I do believe you. Yeah. Now this is a 67, not 6x7. I'm talking about the I'm talking about the first model. The six by six x seven that had the mirror lock on. with the MLV yeah. or MLU. So, um, but yeah, sorry, they did fix it in the 67.2. It's an electronic connection, so um, no no mechanical 
um, connection between the body and the pentaprism. So, so just to just to sum up, if I compare it like the my my two uh, medium format cameras now that I have that I use are the Roloflex and the Hasselblad. I like the Roloflex because it's portable and light, and my back appreciates it. And the Hasselblad I like because of the interchangeable backs, and to me. That's where the uh, the Pentax Six Seven falls down, but I say it with a tear in my eye because I love the lenses. So I, I don't I don't hate you. I would never try and you know try and split the uprights with it, but the the downsides just outweigh the positives. Absolutely, and last but certainly not least, another camera that has um, a cult following, but can be a bit of a dog. That is, of course, James and the. Kodak Retina Reflex 3. Yeah, so the Retina Reflex 3, um, I bought it because it looks really cool. You know, when when I think Kodak... Was this a, was this a drunk eBay purchase? No, no, I was... Uh, this was uh, a casual visit in a Burlington camera that, oh dear, that never, sober. never leaves never leaves so casual. But There's never a casual visit to Burlington camera. Oh, no, no, no. So the Retina Reflex 3, I, how can I best describe this thing? Uh, how about upside down and backwards? Um, it, it's, it's like a... It's a brick, man. I think the thing's made out of tungsten or something. Like I, you know, it's really heavy. Um, it's got uh, real. It's got good optics. It's got Schneider optics on it. They, uh, I guess it was real. This camera was built in response to a lot of the um, the Zeiss cameras that were sort of SLR style or rangefinder style cameras that were being built um, in the late fifties and into the mid sixties. The camera is got. It's got the shutter. Uh, the uh, shutter uh, lever the or the film wind lever on the bottom and it's on the bottom uh, left part of the camera um, it's got a uh, a Gaussian uh, selenium meter built into it it's got a really quirky dial to adjust the ISO all the shutter speed and aperture dials are on the barrel uh, of the lens um, but the biggest problem with this camera is it's just not dependable uh, it's completely over engineered um, for the time, um, you know, I guess perhaps they saw, you know, uh, activity engineering in engineering in Germany at the time to be somewhat of a sense of accomplishment. But if you think about the timing, the time frame of this camera, it had to close the shutter, raise the mirror, raise the light screen, open the shutter, correct for the aperture to expose the film and close the shutter. That's a lot of shit going on in a camera that was built in 1959 to 64 or whatever, whenever it was, um, you know, with that kind of technology. So, you know, they're probably, they're hard to get them repaired today if you do have one. There's only one guy who will really do that. Um, Chris at um, Retina Rescue. Retina Rescue, yeah. 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 And I mean, I think, did, I think, John, did you send a Retina down there at some point, uh, no, I uh, sent my retina to Bill. I said, "Here you go, have fun with it." Yeah, I have it. It, yeah, it needs some love, and I, I'm debating whether it goes to a certain camera repair tech in Quebec City, or do I just send it down to New Zealand? I think I'm gonna New save, Zealand. I am sending it down to New Zealand, and well, considering the fact here's that here's an even from New Zealand, it's a complicated camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. It's overly complicated. Here's my advice on how to repair. A retina reflex. Well, is, mine's not a retina reflex. It's or, okay, a, it's well, a bellows. It's a well, bellows. With any a, retina. Yeah. Here's my advice on how to repair a retina. 
Buy a new one? No, get a Conta Flex. <laughs> <laughs> so true. The Conta said, my brother has a couple of Retinas. He loves them. He has sent them down to the guy in New Zealand. Mine will make the trip down at some point. For me, it's just not a wise investment uh, to go and get it repaired. Then it lasts a couple of years. And then, you know, you got one guy in the entire planet that can, you know, one or two guys in the entire planet that can service them. It. <sighs> Hey, if you like them, knock yourselves out. You know, I don't, you know, whatever makes you happy, go for it. Um, but I think if you're on a limited budget and you're into cameras of that era and you're looking for that uh, sort of transitional SLR, um, uh, comper style shutter. Um, I'm just thinking a trans- an, S- an early SLR period, like a Nikon F from 1960 is going to be way more reliable. Well, sure. Or a Pentax, uh, early Pentax, a Psi Pentax. Oh, there, there's a t- like, I mean, there's a ton of reliable, true SLRs from the late fifties uh, to today that you know that are essentially a dime a dozen that you can get. But if you're into that era of that's kind of hybrid shutter camera, um, that's kind of like at the dawn of the SLR market, I would really recommend the the uh, the Zeiss Contaflex. Oh, definitely. the optics are For sure are equivalent or better uh, in most cases. And the reliability and the engineering, is it's a much better design and ergonomically a hell of a lot easier to use. All the dials mm-hmm. are in the right spot. This camera, I don't know what the hell they were thinking. Like, <laughs> you know, like... And the Retina Reflex 3 is actually simpler than the original Retina Reflex. Yeah, yeah, and the original ones are even you know more complicated. Look, they're lovely to look at. They make really nice conversation pieces. Uh, if you're an engineer, you'd probably love the damn thing. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't have one. Or, or it would really piss you off, I, maybe. I, I was about to say we could uh, we could let Matt at that thing, but I just saw the look on his face, and it was absolutely. <laughs> if, if his it, eyes are rolling down the street. I think we better go get them. I, I was going to say that I, in my opinion, the best repair tool. For a retina, is a one wood. <laughs> I give it a good rip to try and carry the water. No, boy. Well, that's weird because, again, like I said earlier, now bear in mind, my brother has the retina rangefinders, and you gifted me a retina rangefinder. Yeah. They're not this retina SLR, which is sort of this weird. And, like, keep in mind, level of like, this has been my experience with this camera. I know Alex has used it. I think he had a fairly similar, frustrating experience with it. I. I shot a single roll over the course of four days because I had to keep fixing it. Oh, that's never good. It's just not, it's overly engineered for what it's supposed to be. Like, you know. Thankfully, the fix was easy. It was simply, um, there was a lag in the shutter. Oh. So it just needed a little bit of lubrication. There's a lot of musket oil in there. But again, it it died. It's It's just regular gun oil. I just use it on my musket. So therefore, musket gun oil is fine. It's pretty thin. They are beautiful jewels of a camera, like a Fabergé egg. But I don't (laughs) use Fabergé eggs to take pictures. Very true. Or make scrambled eggs with. (laughs) Uh, Kind of crunchy. I think if you've got one of these things in your collection and and it's working, give it some exercise. It needs that. That is the best thing you treat, can do. Treat them for what they are. They're like a vintage Porsche 356B Cabriolet. Take them out for a drive in the summer. Exactly. <laughs> and be careful with the film. Oh, yeah. okay. Who, good to whose know. idea was it to put it on the bottom? And again, you have to remember that the Retina Reflex 
series was based on their rangefinders. I believe the two. I can't remember which one I have, but I vaguely remember the fill advances on the top. The two A. Yeah, yeah. I, it, I think it's the two A. So mine's on the top. It looks the ergonomics look reasonable. It just needs a CLA. Yeah. Well, I guess it's you know it, it's like the uh, film loading of the Leica. You know, does certain things don't belong on the bottom. Are you a top or a bottom? <laughs> I bet you every time that a film advance has been on the bottom, there was some engineer threatening to shoot himself in the head if uh, well, they, weird, they didn't let him put it on the bottom. I have a rangefinder at home. It's like that classic Aunt Betty camera. In 35 SE. Yeah. Well, it's from the mid '60s. Oh, the Contessa Bar- that 35 SE, the F- Fujika. Oh, Fujika. Yeah, Fujika. Oh, yeah. Yeah, aunt, yeah. It was my aunt Barbara's with the, camera with the thumb shot. focus. Yeah. yeah, it was one of those. It was a neat idea at the time. Again, it jammed up, and it's sitting in the uh, cabinet of sh- uh, cabinet of despair, for lack of a better term, for cameras that. But the weird thing is the they that the half dozen shot the dozen shots I got off that roll before it broke. Before it, you know, went to you know, camera heaven. Uh, it's sharp as all get out. Like it's Fujika glass, which right, is like right. really it's f one point nine forty five millimeter too. Yeah. yeah, same deal with the retina with the with the Schneider glass that the things oh, come with. I mean, the, the the quality is spectacular. Um, it's all the other parts. Know, it's the, the other parts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the rear lens cap portion leaves a bit to be desired. It's the, exactly. it's, yeah. That about covers it for this episode. My name's Alex Lokes, and I just have to say the tongue always costs extra. Hopefully. This is James Lee. If you get a choice to be a rear lens cap, or be the top or the bottom, take the top. And this is Bill Smith, and how can I follow up these two? I can't. I just I just can't. My Even my dirty little mind can't come up with something. I'm so sorry. Bottom, bottom loading is always <laughs> yeah. This is uh, Matt Beckberger. Uh, if your Hasselblad is a hassle, then maybe a Leica will like you. This is John Meadows behind the editing desk. Sorry for the sound quality coming from me. Speaking of items we don't bond with, I did not bond with a certain mic preamp for the next couple of episodes. My voice will be a bit distant, but we'll get it fixed. Bye-bye. <laughs>